All right, welcome back to The Few Show, everybody. My name is Bud. I am an account executive here at Xfusion.io and co-host of The Few Show. I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Kevin Wagstaff. Kevin is the co-founder of Spectora. He is a bootstrapper with a background in finance, real estate, and SEO. Kevin, thanks hey, for being thanks on for the show having today, me. my friend. Good stuff. Love what you guys are doing. Yeah, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I was telling you off the air that I have a, a friend who is probably in need of your uh, services, and, and I'll be getting a hold of him after this show. Um, but I, I kind of want to get in, before we start talking about Spectora, I kind of want to mm -hmm. get into your background and figure out how how you uh, landed on Spectora as as what your your niche is here. So let's let's do that. Let's get into to your background. You have a background in um, SEO and real estate. And we'll we'll kind of take the stair steps uh, to get to Spectora, and then we'll start talking about Spectora there. So, um, Spectora is um, it is a, a home inspection business. So we'll we'll kind of give an overview of that, so the the viewing audience isn't totally out of the loop. But you started off with kind of an SEO background and kind of a real estate background. So let's talk about that and figure out how we made those stair steps to to Spectora. So so kind of give me that background and and, and where you started sure. and where yeah. you landed. Um, so I left the finance world, uh, was in personal financial advising right out of college for about five or six years. And then um, in late 20s, I think it was, tw it was 28, um, got a job at Home Advisor. Just hit, knew nothing about SEO, um, just the little basics I taught myself online. And I knew I wanted to get into tech. So applied, got a job at Home Advisor on their SEO team, and was there for about four years um, leading up to starting Spectora. And I learned how the big boys do SEO, Home Advisor, Angie's List. They're owned by. Um, <clears throat> ICA, IAC. And while I was there, I also got my real estate license. So I was doing, working two jobs at the same time. And as a realtor is where I got my first home inspection report. So for anyone that's listening, you know, when you buy a house or if you know someone's bought a house, they always get a home inspection done to tell them what's wrong with the home. And then that report goes to the buyer and the agent. And so I just, the inception of Spectora was getting that report and it was an 80 page PDF that was impossible to parse, impossible to get the actual actionable information out of. So I remember at that time being like, God, these reports suck, but oh, well, that's the way, that's the way it is. Right. right. A lot of times you think, okay, that's just life. Um, and so winding down my time at home advisor, Mike and I had a, a friend, a developer friend whose dad was a home inspector. So he came to us and said, guys, you got to look at my dad's software. It sucks. And it's one of the best out there in this little niche um, of home inspecting. So I had some background and familiarity with it. So I said, okay, I, I know this world a little bit. I've worked with home inspectors. I've been on mm -hmm. home inspections. And uh, <laughs> he convinced us to join with him to, uh, to build a better mousetrap, to build a better home inspection software to run in home inspectors' businesses. So that was the the uh, impetus to, to even research it and dive in. And then after we researched it, we realized there's no strong SaaS player here. And so we researched the size of the market and said, you know what, this is approachable. This is very doable to create a million, multi-million dollar business in a couple of years, as opposed to trying to compete with 
an Instagram or an Instacart or whatever, you know, insert big tech company. Sure. Nice. So it, it just kind of came out of necessity and um, it just happens. It, it found us well. really. So, and, and I always tell people to keep yeah. your networks open and active and talk to just talk to people about what's going on because the reason that friend approached us was because he knew what we were working on. He knew we were working on interesting things. We were freelancing. We had good backgrounds in tech and SEO. That's why he asked us to join. Nice. So you have backgrounds in, in tech and SEO. Where does the, the software building part of it come from? Is that from you or is that from Mike? Now, Michael's your brother, so yep. the people out there know. Who who has the software that's my, my brother, Mike, he did freelance web dev for 10 years, just building projects for, for agencies and kind of being a journeyman there. And, uh, and yeah, he, he's very much a self-taught dev It's uh, he did major in it, but he said everything he learned basically was after college, just building and tinkering. And then I dabbled in some front end stuff as well, but he, he has the back end experience. Nice. So you figure out that this little niche is is approachable and and that you can do it fairly quickly and that that there's horrible software out there that needs to be fixed um so how do you go about actually building this and and saying okay let's let's start this and let's let's do it yeah customer interviews was was day 1 i think was who who do we talk to to learn more about who we're actually going to be serving here. And I think from day one, we had that, whether read from books or, you know, prolific, you know, startup folks of like, go gather information like quickly, as opposed to building and then showing it to them. And so we, I begged every inspector I could to get coffee with me, to show me their software, to tell me what they didn't like about it. Um, I would give them Starbucks gift cards just to meet up with me or I'd buy them Starbucks while we were there. And, uh, and so we did that research while Mike was building kind of at least the infrastructure, like the back end, because we knew there were parts we had to have mm -hmm. based on based on competitor research. Sure. So it was a ton of interviews and then a quick feedback loop in terms of we would hear it a couple times. Mike would build it like the next week. I would go back and show it to the inspector again at the Starbucks. And so we did that with a handful of inspectors while I was writing articles like long tail SEO articles about how to become a home inspector, how much does a home inspector make, home inspector license requirements. I was writing these articles ahead of time knowing that, hey, if we start getting this traffic for inspectors interested in everything peripheral to the software, they'd maybe stumble across us and say, hey, I'll try out Spectora. Nice. So are, are you doing this while, <clears throat> while working your your other jobs or did you just go did you just go full in on this quit your other jobs and i mean you know i mean just say hey we're we're all in i, I how, how does this work because you're bootstrapping this right because i mean you're you have a bootstrapping background uh did you come into this with some money did you like how does all that work so mike and i were raised by a, a very frugal dad who never spent what he didn't have and through working through our 20s mike and i you know were just diligent savers um so and so we had some personal mm -hmm. runway we probably had fifty 
K each runway just saved in the bank from just life, from just being good savers, not living above our means. Uh, maybe for this day, maybe we didn't know it was for, for a startup, but we had that. And then we also still continued to freelance. So he freelanced web dev, I freelanced SEO, and I had real estate. So we had some income to float us. Okay. So our burn rate was basically nothing. And so I hear a lot of people that transition into it. They freelance or they do side gigs to piece it together. We did that. And then we basically cut all of that out two months before launching because we knew we had to be all in. We had to answer emails within minutes. We had to fix prop, fix bugs as they happened. So I would say we took the, I think the, the safer route of having runway, do a side gig to keep sustaining you, to make you feel like you, you know, you're hedging a little. And then when it was time to launch, that's when we said, we can't, we can't, uh, that's where I think a lot of people continue to freelance and, uh, do it part-time. That's where we just said, you know what? All of our days have to be dedicated towards getting more customers and meeting people, or it's not going to work. Nice. That's, uh, that's pretty ballsy and, <laughs> and takes, you know, I mean, good, good for you. But so how long, how long before from, from inception, you know, all that, all that work, all those meetings before you have your MVP and, and your first client? So we started everything basically late 2015. And those were just meetings, um, with the, the initial founding team, mapping out the future, checking key assumptions, customer interviews and building was 2016 launched January, 2017. So we're looking at like a year and a half, a year to a year and a half of ideation to launch. Well, not not bad, bad because we, we built, that's, uh... uh, we made sure we took the MVP approach and we were embarrassed by the first iteration. As they say, you gotta be embarrassed by your launch. And we, sure. we were, and that was, and that was good. And we still should have launched earlier. That's what we keep telling ourselves is like, we were embarrassed, but like, we should have been more embarrassed and just got it in front of people sooner. And you hear that advice all the time from other founders. Yeah. But you did it and you were still <laughs> embarrassed and you still had a customer and, and you're now, you know, where you're at today and, and it's going, and it's going well. So, um, how are you know that that's what she's of 2017 so we're what three yep. four years in and that was just you and your brother right so you guys are sitting there and and you're thinking okay we have a client we have our mvp we need to make this thing better we need to make this thing grow so how do you go about building a team off that how long was it just you and your brother before you could start building a team? And then how do you, how do you start building from just you and your brother? Who's the first person that you get? Who's the next person that you get? How do you strategically build from yeah, there? This is such, such an important question that I wish I heard other founders talk about when we were in this phase, because as anyone that's listening knows, you kind of feel like you're, you're <clears throat> reaching around in the dark, just taking one step forward at a time. So uh, the short answer, about a year and three months after launch that it was just me and Mike before our first hire. And we did it that way because we told ourselves, we just got to pay ourselves a grand a month, like a, one grand a month. 
and this will feel like this has some legs and we can sustain ourselves. And so it wasn't hire, hire someone, you know, cause we had the tools between Mike and I to do this, to, to pretty much do all we needed to get to 200 customers. Sure. And so our goal was 200 customers, 20 K MRR that will, that will sustain us and we'll save up. We'll be able to hire someone in a year. And so it everything went towards getting not even the first 200 customers, not even the first hundred. It was like 10. We were like, get to 10. First it was one, obviously you get one. <clears throat> sure. And so sure. we very much stayed present and took the approach like many bootstrappers do where it's survival. It's, it's not, Hey, I just raised, you know, a million dollar seed round. Let's go out on a hiring spree and get an office or whatever. It's like, Hey, we have a year of runway personally, and we have to get to 200 customers or our burn is just going to keep going. So all we did was spend time with customers and build new features. That was literally it. Um, you know, I did some, we added on some cool things like, Hey, we'll audit your website. I, I built home inspector websites for them as kind of a hook. So the inspectors that were like, Hey, can you rebuild my website? I would do that agency work just to keep, just to have money coming in. So, um, that was probably, that was what floated us for maybe the first six months was me doing some agency SEO work, building their websites and uh, managing their SEO. So we went against the advice we got from a mentor, which is like, never do a hybrid agency SaaS model. He, you know, we have a mentor that just thinks that's like the worst thing in the world to do, but we did it. And I think it, it floated us early on. And so to get back to the question, focused solely on customer feedback and development for the first year and about month four or five, it started to snowball because word started getting around. So I think the, the early, the first 10 customers, I mean, I'm talking, we spent day and night with them. We did zooms. We, we, uh, were answering emails at midnight, asking them feature questions. I'd wake up at 6am to do demo. Like anytime anyone wanted to talk, meet, text, email, we were like all over it. And we literally took the approach of like, we're married to these people all day, every day that word of mouth ended up, you know, resulted in that first 200 customers, which is what we hit, um, in our first year. Nice. Yeah, that's great. So you, you get to that, you, you get to your goal, you get to the place where you can make that higher and, and you say, okay, I, we want to make this higher. Now, obviously, I've done some research on you for this show. Uh, the, the people out there watching have not. Culture is a huge thing for you guys. And, and that's obvious if you do just a little bit of research. Um, you're, you have a, a, a very fun, uh, very real culture. Um, but you guys are, are very hard workers. Uh, and that's that comes through. So when, you're, when, you, when you and Mike are talking... You say, is this where you start your culture? Do you guys say, we want, we want a culture to look like this and, and you make that part of your first hire or, or how does this culture start? Do you, do you make that with your first hire or do you just make a first hire? And then does the culture thing come later? More of that, what you just, the, the latter, I, I would love to say it was intentional from day one, but <laughs> any bootstrap founder knows you're just freaking trying to survive. You're just trying to make the next dollar. You're trying to increase that MRR enough to pay your bills. Um, and then when you need help, 
you you usually will take any warm body that that will uh, come help out and work for less uh, initially. So it was <clears throat> find uh, good good character traits in people. We didn't look for a, a customer sure. support life or someone that has done customer support even for five or 10 years. We were a little scrappier of a, of a team where we just found people that knew how to work hard. Um, we had a few, you know, ex pro athletes that were early hires that we knew just knew how to react and handle stress and adversity and work hard. And then we were like, we can teach you the industry. We can teach you, you know, how to do customer support, teach you our customer personas, all that. So yeah, early on, it was, uh, we had no idea what we were doing, right? It's like, you just put out a, a thing on indeed and sure. you're like, oh shit, someone's showing up and we got, we have to like ask them questions and then like hire them after this like, or not. And that's literally <laughs> what it feels like. And you're like, wow, I am so not qualified to do this, but we, we want some help. Uh, you know, so you Google good interview questions for customer support people, good interview questions for developers, and then you just wing it. And that we didn't even have a culture at that point. I, I, I can't even say we had a true culture intentionally until about a year and a half ago. So that makes anyone feel better that like you think certain customer or certain businesses at certain sizes have it figured out. Hell no. We, we, uh, we got more intentional about it when we got to about 15 or 20 people. But before that, it kind of just is a manifestation of the founders and who you hire. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's dive in a little bit more to to what your culture is is now. We can come back and, and talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of, of Spectora here in a little bit, but um, I do want to talk about about culture because here at Exfusion, culture is is a huge thing for us, um, and our culture is a little bit different because we have we have most of our team is in in Kenya. Uh, the second biggest cohort of our mm -hmm. team is in the Philippines, and and then we have we have one in India, we have one in Jamaica, we wow. have one in Mexico. So it's Global. it's hard to it's hard to get a culture that yeah, it's hard to get a culture that really in, encompasses everybody and and makes everybody feel in, included. And you know, I mean, you just have have that, but um, you know, your culture. I heard one of your your people say that. You know, they, they asked me about my health outside of work on, on one of the videos. And she said that was huge because nobody's ever asked me about that before. So when, when you're talking about work culture and, and you guys obviously have a lot of fun together, but you care about your, your people. So where does that come from and why is that important to you? Because you guys are a fully remote work uh, from what I understand. So how did you guys decide to be fully remote first? And, and how did you guys decide how to take care of your people in that kind of environment? Yeah. So we had an office up until COVID. Um, and we were, we were, we had a very strong in-person office culture <clears throat> when we were about 10 people strong. And so it was, um, we were in the trenches together. We had fun together. We, you know, we went out and got happy hours and dinners and, and then COVID hit. And I think without like many companies, we didn't know what the future held. And so we made the decision to go remote because we, we could, and we have the type of business that, that lends itself to that. Little did we know that building culture and maintaining culture, such a challenge over zoom. Uh, it, even if you're very intentional, like we have been, 
I, it has been, um, a little tougher to build those bonds that you get from in person. And, uh, and so that's what we're finding out and learning. We do have a small office again now in downtown Denver. Um, that's for meetings and for people that do want to come in that are on the local team, but we are spread out across, uh, I think eight States and three countries now. So we've committed to remote or there, there's no turning back. Um, but the second part of your question is taking like Mike and I <clears throat> grew up in the same house. Obviously we, uh, were taught, um, empathy growing up. So I, you know, and my brother, very empathetic person, he has a master's in counseling psychology. So his, his mental health background gives us one kind of layer of depth where we're just aware of that and care about <clears throat> the mental and emotional health of our people in general. And then we're both big people pleasers. I, I come from a, a basketball background, played in college and briefly overseas. So like, I'm a big team guy. So I'm just used to like loving and caring about a team and making sure that you know, your power forward's happy that your shooting guard is feeling good. You know, it's like I would go, I was a point guard. So I'd go around and make sure everyone was feeling good. And so you combine Mike and I's kind of knack and kind of prioritizing that empathy makes us, I think, just invest a little more and care a little more and not seeing people as assets. And so, um, because when you, when you start with that holistic approach, man, you just realize even if you're faking it at first, you start to really care about these people and you start to kind of get into their lives and you realize that work and life, as much as you want to keep them separate and have a wall in between them, you just can't, I think, and have a high performing team. I think that's why startups bond people. That's why sometimes people say it's the best couple of years of my life or the best five years of my life is because it does get messy. You do get into the emotions. You do get to know people and, but that's how you grow. That's how you trust each other. And, uh, all these themes that traditional businesses maybe don't talk about as much or certain businesses, they matter a ton because I think that's how things get done when you're not looking is trust and empathy and someone feeling like someone cares about them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We, uh, a little sidebar, you know, we, we have a, a saying here, like some of our, our, people are like, man, this is, this is like a family. And we're like, well, well, be careful with that. Cause you know, that's good that you feel that way, but this is like a team. You know, you, you said something about like your basketball team and this is, this is a team and with a family, like there's no matter what, like you can't get rid of people on your family, no matter how crazy or weird they are right and so we're like we we love everybody that works for us and and we want to take care of everybody that works for us and and we've had lately some real mental health challenges and we do everything that we can to help them um even as far as you know paying for some some mental health counseling and, and things like that right but it gets to the point where if if they're really a detriment, like we'll still help pay for some things even after they're gone, but you have to cut bait, right? At, at times. And that's where like the, the whole team versus family analogy comes into play. Like, how do you go about that? Like there's, there's a time where you have to hire well 
and fire well in order to be able to keep your culture good and your your mental health for not only the people but your entire staff well like do you have you come across that yeah, absolutely yet and and how do you handle you know, that? uh probably been i'd say two or three over the last couple of years that we've had to exit from the company and um and sometimes it's been you know whether it's like you go to a conference or mike and i have some some time and space to actually zoom out of the day-to-day -day and evaluate think about the mission that we're on and the goals we're trying to achieve and if people are not bringing their full selves and, and hitting certain goals and metrics and making things trackable. Um, yeah, it's, it's always hard. It, it's the, it's the thing I used to 100% dread and not want to do and completely botched and have messed up a couple, um, exits myself. Um, but we're getting better at it. We're learning and we're learning to embrace it because every time we have exited someone, our culture has snapped back and felt 10 times stronger afterwards because we make it very clear that each time we do that, it's a vote for everyone that's here on the boat. Like everyone that's still on the boat, we're, we're, this is a positive vote for you. And it's not fair. It's almost not fair. So mm -hmm. we started off, I think very, very, um, I guess people could kind of dictate their work and their careers and trajectories. And we were open to everything and how everyone was feeling. And then you realize like, okay, there's a balance somewhere in here because I think the modern startup gets flack, right? For just being this completely soft environment where like everybody just can feel happy yeah. and well balanced at all times. And then I'm a little more old school um, in a sense, I guess I consider myself an older, I'm an older millennial, so I can kind of pick and choose when I want to be one. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's nice. But, uh, That's nice. You know, our dad was blue collared, man. So it's like, there's also this, Hey, there's a job to be done. There's a mission and a goal and uh, a championship to be won. And if you're not pulling your weight on this team, there's other places for you to go. So it's, a uh, it's learning how to be direct. It's learning how to create measurable goals that you actually hold people accountable to. And that was, that's been my hardest journey as a, as a leader. Cause I just want, I just want everyone to be happy and keep the party going, but it's like, you got to be the bad guy sometimes and let them know you're not doing what you signed up to do. And I'm holding you accountable to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, and our biggest challenge is, is making sure that when we do let somebody go, that the other people know why, so that they're not right. afraid, you know, especially going overseas, you know, cause when you've, when you fire somebody in Kenya, the other Kenyans are like, oh no, like right. we're all going to get fired now. You know, so it's like, no, this is why, and this is the steps we went through and we haven't gone through any of those steps with you. So you're yep. okay. Yep. You know, like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. You know, so it's a challenge for sure. Um, but good. Yeah. It's, I, I like it. It's, it's startups are a, a different animal, man. It's, Communication it's crazy. Is, it, it never ends, you know, and you think you're doing it well one week, you don't get credit for it the next week. If you know, it's, it's not one of those things that just, uh, mm -hmm. accumulates. It's like, you got to show up every week and that's the hard drain. I think that's why founders burn out sometimes is you're a doer. So you're doing stuff X hours a week, but then you're doing the emotional upkeep part of staying in touch with people, communicating to everybody, giving them one-on-one -on -one attention, hearing their feelings and thoughts and wearing that. 
then you have your own feelings and thoughts that you got to try to manage. And so I, I, uh, there's a reason why my hairline's a little further back than it was, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, and I, I never thought that I would ever, ever be in, in therapy. And, and I started a couple of years you. ago. Good for you, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's, it's like, yeah, this is driving the me to therapy. I hope the stigma is wearing away. Is. You know, we very, we're very open and candid on our team about it. It is. We acknowledge that sometimes we're each other's therapists. When you have a 30 minute zoom with someone, mm -hmm. that's therapy. <laughs> that's therapy. Yeah, it is. It is. It's good. So let's go, let's go back a little bit to, uh, Spectora. Like we, I jump around a lot. And so we'll, we may come back to this a little, bit, that a little bit, I'm all about it. Um, right. It is. So I, I'm interested to know we, earlier, we talked about that very first, um, home inspection that you saw and it was 80 pages long. So now you're, you're kind of four or five years into this thing that, that 80 page inspection with your, with your app or not app, but your mm -hmm. platform, what have you gotten that down to now? Cause it, it looks really nice from what I can see and, and it's very manageable. What is that 80 page inspection down well, to? Now? It's almost a, a completely different thing now because it's a web-based report. So it mm -hmm. looks more like a, a Pinterest board or something like a web-based document that you click through and that it changes as you look at it. So there's really no pages anymore. It's one big page that you can kind of filter, sort, segment. So it functions more like a modern web app as opposed to an old PDF. Now we still have to produce the PDF because certain states that document is needed, it's attached. We knew we couldn't, we knew the PDF is, is probably never gonna die. So we still had to produce it, but it's secondary to the web-based experience. So now, um, we have inspectors that are doing 20 or 30 page reports. Um, their PDFs are down to that, but a lot of people, less and less people are even using the PDF because they just view their home inspection report as a link on the web. So that's, that was a little bit of a paradigm shift and something we kind of, I think led the charge on was saying, Hey, we know it's been done this way for the last 30 years, but there might be a better way for you to experience looking at these photos and figuring out what's wrong with your home. Yeah, and you you have tools to be able to um, just put put pictures on and um, go ahead and go ahead and talk about some of the the features that that you really like on on your website that that you want to uh, that you want to feature. Well, we're B two B at the core, so to me the the features that allow our users to be more efficient, make more money. Um, is the mobile app 100%. The way they do inspections is just different. Um, they do more at the house, whereas the old school model was home inspectors go take 300 pictures at the house. Then they go home and work on the report for three hours and then their wives and kids hate them and, and their life's uh, not very good. So now through an, an efficient mobile app and workflow, they do more on at the house. So to me, if our home inspectors are happy, that's number one, because they're the ones that pay our bills. So. Features like, uh, you know, uh, the, the camera and the mobile app, being able to draw arrows with your fingers pointing to the foundation crack, things like that. 
um, all great things, right? But the report itself is digested yes. by the homeowner and the real estate agent. So we have downstream customers that don't pay us, but they consume our products. And so I know there's there may not be as many businesses like that, but I know there's a lot of B2B where you're empowering your customers to create a product for downstream consumers, which is the agent and the client. So the report is just visual. That's the biggest feature is no one wants to read walls of text anymore. No one wants to read period, right? So the home inspection report's gotta be, the photos right. gotta blow up. They gotta be high def. The videos have to look crisp. Um, so you can see that leaking faucet, that leaking toilet. Yeah. So the one that I was gonna, the one that I was gonna talk about was, was that repair request builder. Um, I, I was really, I was really looking at that and I, I really like that as, as, as part of your, your, uh, uh, offerings, because I, if I was having a, a, a home inspection done on my house, like that would just be something that I would really like to have. It's just super easy to look at and, and say, Hey, this is, that's part of what you were saying. You can draw pictures or you could take pictures and have something drawn, um, you know, holes in the roof. You know, the inspector can come and say, hey, this is what I was looking at. I can take pictures. You know, there's all these problems. You can point to them with your finger. You can draw things there. Like, there's no there's no question of the inspector is trying to screw me over. There's all this video evidence. There's, you know, and he can put down, I think you should take five thousand dollars off the price or you need to get this fixed the buyer needs to have this fixed or the, the or the seller needs to have this fixed or the buyer can you know can ask for a discount on this like it's just something that's that's very very visual very very easy because like you said nobody really wants to read anymore and and it just takes so much guesswork out of of what the old home inspections used to be. Um, what I really like about your services is, I mean, just in general, is you are a full service front to back full spectrum offering, right? Like you have, you have everything you have you have the inspection software you have the web design you have seo throughout the life of of the uh well and i'm guessing probably even beyond the life of of the contract for the the home inspector if they're with you while they're with you they could probably pay for that while they're even um not working with you but you just have you run the whole gamut I was thinking like the Spectora spectrum, like you have everything for the home inspector, right? And it's just a one-stop shop for whatever the home inspector would need. And it's just, it's a beautiful setup. So I don't know. I, I really like what you have Thank going you. on. Appreciate it. It's uh we offer a lot for 99 yeah. bucks a month. Sometimes we, uh, we look up and say, wow, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. 
and and the SEO product for what was that? Two eighty nine. Yeah, we have sent we we outsource that now. We have a yeah. partner that we one agency that we work with and uh, partner closely with and kind of monitor the plans. That that was a business we knew we wanted to basically be a good lead generator for, but we didn't want to manage the plans because anyone that knows SEO knows not an easy thing to manage and set expectations on. Um, and results take longer than anyone is wants to wait. So we've since partnered with a company on that and focused, you know, tripled down on software features. What can we add to save them money, um, save them time? Yeah. No, I think it's a fantastic offering for for ninety nine bucks a month, or you can save if you if you go annually on that. But that being said, you're you're a few years into this. What what do you find is your is your biggest pain point in, in all of this? What 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 is the biggest thing that you're having trouble with today? As of today, yeah, as of today. Um... Hiring is not easy in this environment. So that's the first thing that comes to, to mind. Um, I think with COVID, there's obviously lots of lots of factors there with, with the assistance that some were getting and the workforce kind of slowly coming back, people, people coming back ready to work. Um, but yeah, you hear the stat, right? It's like 10 million open jobs and, and 4 million unemployed or something like that. And so um, hiring and hiring great talent, I'd say is a, is a big one. And then a second, you know, one B would be culture being remote. I think, uh, keeping people connected, keeping people giving a shit, keeping people feeling like they are heard and seen over in a remote environment mm -hmm. is, uh, is something like I think about every day. It's something I think about how to do it better. And, and so as a result, we're going to do our first team retreat, uh, early next year. Uh, in person. So we're going to, we're going to fly everyone nice. to uh, a certain destination and have a couple days, uh, much like, you know, convert kit has a great video on this. They've executed it really well. So it seems, so we're going to try to replicate that. Nice. So when you're hiring, you, you said that you're now in, in eight States and, mm -hmm. and three countries. Um, are you trying to keep your hiring more local to try and keep that that better or do you do you even care <laughs> where the people come from you just want great talent i wonder if this is common uh we're skewing more towards local because of that element of being able to sit side by side and train with someone most people also know devs and product not as easy to just stick to your local market because there's less talent out there on dev and product side so a um, couple parts of the company cs sales marketing still okay being remote, but prefer local, um, dev and product. I think you have to scour the world to find good dev and product people nowadays. Yeah. Are you finding with your customers, um, like the guy I was talking to you about before we came on my, my buddy, who's a home inspector, you know, he's, he's new in the game. Are you finding that with this whole, pandemic situation that your customers are are leaning that way a lot more people that are new to the game or are are a lot of your customers kind of older to the game more bigger players that are finding you 
and and coming in that way? Or have you been able to, to figure out what, what that demographic is? The industry is about 98% mom and pop solo inspector, um, as opposed to, say, a franchise or a, a mega multi-inspector company that has 50 inspectors and they dominate, say, the Houston area. And so the, we had our best months out of the pandemic pretty much like six or seven back-to-back months starting in April of the pandemic because I think it's a low barrier uh, to entry industry. And in half the states, you don't have to be like registered with the state to be a home inspector. So in about half the states, you can roll out of bed, you know, get a business card and start inspecting homes. So that helps. Um, That Mm. helps with new customers for sure. so, and so, yeah, we've seen a nonstop steady stream of new inspectors to the game because there's historically been a shortage. Um, most experienced home inspectors are booked two to three weeks out. Oh, yeah, I know he's busy. Um, are you, are you seeing pretty good clientele from, from all 50 states or are you, are you kind of uh, consolidated into just no, a few it tracks states. with population centers. So yeah, uh, Houston or Texas, Florida, um, some of the bigger states that have higher velocity of home sales. I think that we pretty much track a- along with that. So any big booming city, we're tending to to do well there. And then obviously the North Dakotas and Montanas of the world. Shout out to them, but not a ton of not a ton of homes turn in those markets. So yeah, then we're gonna have less oh, sure. factors there. Cool. Um, where do you see this going as an industry in the next few years? Do you, do you see, let me, let me kind of rephrase that. I asked you what your pain point was. What do you see as a pain point for the industry and where do you see it going over the next few years? I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but this is probably the, um, the most insightful question because this is what our industry has been talking about for the last year or two at conferences and with other partners is we believe the future is the homeowner needing more from the home inspector, not just here's your report. Good luck. It's now, well, you said I have a leaking toilet. Who do you know? Do you know a plumber? Can you connect me with a plumber? Um, I need maintenance on my furnace every quarter. Can you help me with that? Hey, I need someone to blow out my sprinklers every year. Can you help with that? Do you know someone? So we see the home inspector now becoming a home consultant and extending that relationship. Nice. Because as a home buyer and then as an agent, every single time, either myself or the person was like, uh, do you know a drywall person? Because I don't. And I could Google it. But a, a referral is the strongest form of trust, a warm referral to say, oh, yeah. This handyman, he's a good dude. He'll come help you fix those doors that I pointed out was wrong. So we very much see a world where the home inspector extends that relationship and and can even be a lead generator for the bigger contracting space. Do you see do you see Spectora being able to get into that space with your with your clientele being able to have that as part of building that infrastructure right now as we speak. So it's a awesome, it's something we're investing heavily in, in the future to say, okay, we want to dominate the home inspection space. Great. We would love to 
you know, to get to 10,000, 15,000 customers. And that would be kind of over 50% market share. But we're also kind of looking at how do we help the broader contractor ecosystem while growing our footprint. And we think that's the way. Awesome. Well, good for you. That's the big billion dollar vision because we, having worked at Home Advisor, I have a little insight there, which kind of the lead gen world and kind of, you know, contractors sometimes begrudgingly pay thousands of dollars a month for leads. And what's a warmer lead than someone that just bought a home and needs to fix their drywall, needs to fix their baseboards, needs a new fence, um, as warm a lead as it gets. So I think we're on something even bigger here. Right. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So just before we, before we kind of close this out, I want to go back just a little bit. Um, you're not kind of the typical entrepreneur startup founder where you guys had a bunch of startups before your, or entrepreneur before you, you saw a need, you kind of started it. Um, this is your first startup. If I, if I have that right. So how did you go about kind of building relationships with other, with other founders? You said that you had a mentor, um, but most of the, the founders that I have on the show have relationships with other founders, others, you know, other startup personnel that they just kind of go to. So do you have kind of a, a Rolodex of, of other founders that you now have, have access to to help you kind of along your journey still not great i'm working on it i've I've gotten a little more active on twitter i've uh joined a SaaS kind of friends group um that that one a guy on twitter i i know created but our our mentors were the podcast startups for the rest of us by rob walling and uh and then we went to denver startup week here and that's where we saw our now mentor speak so we went to a bunch of sessions um, he was another bootstrapper in the, in the dentistry, you know, SAS area. Um, and we just approached him afterwards and we saw him speak and I shot him an email and said, Hey, that was very helpful. Um, can I buy you coffee? And then we went and got coffee and he's, he advised us. And I think now we're similar size companies. Um, but it's fun cause we're peers now. And so our mentor became a peer yeah. and, uh, but yeah, it is lonely. I, I'm not gonna lie. Those first couple of years we had to we researched and read and listened to podcasts. And I think that was kind of our, that, that served as our mentors is the people that were putting wisdom out there, much like you're doing with your interviews, getting stories out there. This is the kind of stuff that bootstrappers, there's very little out there for us. Um, everything was venture backed, you know, Saster is mostly for venture backed people. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was really our path. And we, we've never been great at putting our name out there. Cause I think we've just been heads down for, you know, five years growing the business. And so the networking side falls off. <laughs> right. But I, I love the way you go about yourself, the way you started this and the way you went about that. Like you just, you just go ask people, <laughs> like, there's not a lot of people that just do that. Like, Hey, I want to go buy you a coffee and tell you about what we're doing and ask you a whole bunch of questions and, and you know, I, people flock to that, you know, a lot of, they just, yeah, okay, let's do that because they see your energy and they, they see your passion. And so just keep it up. That's awesome. Um, 
let's wind this thing down, and and I will ask you the same couple questions that uh, that I ask everybody that's on this show, and and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about this. But what advice would you give to founders or soon to be founders that are going to be watching this program? Have a ridiculous bias towards action over overthinking. I think uh, especially if you're working with developers, if you're if you're co-founders of dev keep the focus on asking questions and getting in front of the people that are going to pay for your product someday it's so easy for us to all go in our cave and concoct the master plan write articles create an infographic it's like no write one helpful article today go talk to one person today ship you know the dashboard even though it feels shitty ship the product and then iterate over time because you're doubling down on your ability to communicate and to be persistent as opposed to, I still think there's this, like we release it to the world and then everyone signs up feeling by some founders, especially first time founders got to go quick and dirty. That's, that's the way we did it. May that may not work for certain industries, but our users had so much grace with us of saying, you guys are working your ass off to improve this. I'm going to stick with you. And, uh, that was our path. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I believe it'll just keep working for you. So here's, here's the last question. And hopefully this one will help expand that Rolodex. What is the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you? Uh, if so wish? Uh, you know, I'm, I get on Twitter just about every day. So at Kevin Wagstaff three, I think I'm the third one on there, uh, on Twitter. So yeah, I want to <laughs> chat with people on there more and more. I follow, you know, a ton of, crazy smart people and then I learn something pretty much every day. So yeah, I want to build that up more. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, good luck to you, man. I, I hope the same hey, blows up. It was up a blast. Me. Appreciate it, man. <laughs>